Imagine a world where you come home from work and there he is, standing in the middle of your kitchen. It's God, manifested as a floating cylinder or a ball of light or even a cinnamon stick, tailored to your personal taste. You're not even surprised because he's there every day, ready to greet you when you come home. You tell him about your day, but he says he already knows about it. You ask him to bring your neighbor's dog back to life, who got hit by a car. He says he already knew you would ask for that and that he'll think about it. He says goodbye, then he wafts through your kitchen ceiling like water vapor. You look out your window and see the simultaneous manifestations of God leaving all your neighbor's houses too. The next day, the neighbor's dog is back, resurrected. On your lunch break, you watch a live news segment of a physicist having a conversation with God, in which God clears up some misconceptions about the fabric of space-time. After this, you hop onto the Wikipedia page for God and see that someone has already updated the article to include the most recent conversation with God about space-time. You scan the list of conversations people have had with God throughout the centuries. A few thousand years ago, God warned people about germs. He told us about hand washing. A thousand years before that, he had shown people how to start fires and safely cook food. Most recently, God revealed to us how to cure cancer and paralysis. This kind of world seems ridiculous, even to theists. But why? If God does exist, why is a reality like this so unbelievable? Is it because we are so accustomed to our reality where God is invisible and unreachable? Is it because we are so used to having to rationalize why the God who supposedly loves us and wants us to know Him won't show His face? Hi, welcome to the Flawed Theology Podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Susie. And we're asking the question, if your theology were wrong, wouldn't you want to know? So it's been a while since we've done this. We've had uh, two episodes in between where we delved into some deep topics. So today we thought we'd have a little bit more fun. Uh, we're going to talk about the idea of divine hiddenness. I was thinking about this, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, oh, we should do an episode on this. So the idea of divine hiddenness is like, God is hidden and that's like some amazing quality. Yeah. It's like part of his plan to be hidden almost. Right. Yeah. And so we're going to talk about that idea and like why a real deity, if they were all powerful, all loving and truly wanted to save their creations, probably wouldn't be so damn hard to find. Right. Right. And you wrote a blog pass, a blog past, a blog post about this. So we'll be referencing that a little bit too, and we'll put it in the show notes uh, we'll probably be stealing a majority of that post for this episode. So it'll be, a, <laughs> yeah. it'll be a fun double promotion, Susie promotion episode. Yeah. Well, you had a great example of like a hide and seek game. Yeah. I was thinking about this. Like when you're a kid, everyone's played the game of hide and seek and it's a fun game, right? If you know that you're looking for a person that's actually there. So my kids know that their brother is hiding somewhere in the house. They're fun. And when they find each other, it's a big squealing fun party. <laughs> Yeah. But like the idea of, of divine hiddenness and God being hidden is like playing hide and seek with someone who isn't there, but you're also in a crisis. So like for me, it'd be like, imagine a kid losing his parent in the grocery store 
but his parents left the grocery store. And also there's an active shooter in the grocery store. Oh, yeah. So, you know, you're in a time of crisis. You're looking desperately for your parent, except for, well, your parent left the building or your parent wasn't even there. Or if the parent is there, his parent is hiding behind the frozen meat section, right. just watching. Right. Yeah. And saying, I should intervene right now and make my kid feel better. But nah, I'll kind of stay hiding hiding behind this meat. <laughs> yeah. So to me, that's not a fun game. Like It's cruel. Yeah. And that's not to me what an all loving God would do. Yeah. So when I think about what a world would be like if there were a God and that God were not hidden, that, that was kind of the inspiration behind the uh, intro that we did. In that world, God is an accepted fact, just like the existence of trees or cats is not a belief. Like you wouldn't even divide it on those terms. There's nothing to believe in. It just is. It's just a fact. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like Lars talked about that in our episode where you don't believe evolution, you accept it. But this isn't even something you have to accept. Right. It's just, it's obvious. It's like, do you believe in TVs? <laughs> right. Do you accept TVs? That doesn't even make right. sense. That's not coherent. Yeah. You wouldn't even use that terminology. Yeah. An omnipotent God that's all powerful. It would be just as easy for this God to prove his existence so that everybody would know. Right. It'd be just as easy for them to do that as it would be to do nothing because effort is not a concept. Right. You know, then we're left with the question of why are there non-resistant non-believers in God? When I saw this term, I was like, oh, that's what I've been my whole life. Right. Yeah. And I think you talked about this in the blog post a little bit, that idea of the non-resistant, non-believer. Well, somebody who's like open to God and might even be pursuing God, but still does not believe in God. I wanted to believe. I was open to it. I just needed some evidence. I needed something. And right. there was nothing there. So my unbelief in God was reasonable. And everybody who does not believe in God, their non-belief is reasonable because there is no evidence. Theists and Christians like to say, well, then the idea of an obvious God that's proven isn't compatible with God's character. But to me, it seems like it's more compatible with God's character. Because if he was, like you said, omnipotent, he has the power to make himself known. If he's omnibenevolent, he's all loving. Well, then he would want to be known to his people. Yeah. Like imagine how different the world would be if there was no arguing about the existence of God. Like it was just a thing that was universally accepted. You yeah. know? It would be so different. There wouldn't be all the different religions. There wouldn't be fighting between religions. But I wonder if humans would just find something else to fight about. But, but they probably would. You know, <laughs> like we're pretty good at fighting. Yeah. Why do you think that the hypothetical reality of there being a God and this God making itself known to humans, like the world that we described in our intro, why is that so unrealistic? Yeah. I don't know. It seems like that is like what we're conditioned to think about God. It's like, we've all accepted. The God is that, hidden, right? Yeah. We've all yeah. accepted this idea that, oh, well, God is like way above us. He's infinitely unknowable, but also infinitely knowable, you know, which doesn't make any sense. <laughs> right. There's really no difference in the world of having a God that's unknowable and invisible and having no God. Right. It's indistinguishable. Nothing makes more sense with an invisible God or without any God. There's no difference. Right. Physics does not make more sense if you inject God into your equations. Gardening doesn't make more sense. Right. Anything. Cars doesn't make more sense. Right. Where you would expect if God were real and God was not hidden, then we would need God to make sense of our reality. And we don't. Right. Right. It would add more to the equation. It would make your life better. And I guess Christians might 
argue that, oh, my life is better because of God, but it's, it's not because of God. It's because of your belief that there's a God, mm-hmm. the actual presence of God isn't making any difference because there's no right. proof that there's actual presence. It's, it's all conjured up in their heads. And that's no difference than believing in any kind of fantasy. If you're really into some other religion and you believe that that religion is making an impact on your life, it's the belief that makes the difference. It's a placebo. Yeah, definitely. Like yeah. a placebo, taking a, a sugar pill and thinking it's it's curing your cancer. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that kind of world where God is like trees or cats or whatever. I think even theists would say that's ridiculous. Yeah. That's, you know, unrealistic. But the only reason that's unrealistic is because it's not the reality that we find ourselves in. Right. It's not the reality that we're used to and we're just like so used to having to rationalize why our god is hidden that it just seems normal that a god would be hidden. Right. But when you think about the god concept and all of god's qualities and attributes, would you really expect that god would hide, not even just passively hide like actively hide (laughs) right actively hide yeah like you hear all these stories of people crying out in times of crisis like god show me where to you know how to make this decision or what should i do in this situation and it's either you get crickets or some kind of feeling yeah or you manufacture your own answer you know and just basically attribute it to god so to me that sounds that kind of life is more frustrating than just saying there is no God or, right. you know, not having proof, like it doesn't make a difference. It's it's actually more frustrating to believe in an invisible God and a hidden God than, than having no God. Yeah. So when I was like getting rid of all my Bibles and stuff that I had laying around that I, I kept a few, but I was about to get rid of a whole big stack of Christian stuff and, and Bibles. I was in my bedroom and I had them all stacked up on the bed and I just said out loud to the room. And this is the first time I talked to quote unquote, talked to God in, yeah. I don't know, 15, 20 years because yeah. I never prayed. And I was like, God, if you are real, like, I was like, I'm about to throw these away. I'm never going to look back. If you are real, you need to show me something right now. Yeah. And there was absolutely nothing. Nothing happened. Yeah. And I was like, well, okay, uh, that's it. <laughs> I remember... <laughs> In some apologetics um, thing, there was always the story about if you go to a secular university, you know, you're going to be in some class where they're going to bash, you know, humanism and atheism down your throat. And they always like to tell the story about the professor. He wanted to prove that there was no God. So he would hold up a glass mason jar and he would say, okay, class. And he'd been doing this for, you know, like 25 years at this secular university. And he's like, if there's no God, when I drop this glass, jar, it will not hit the ground or it will hit the ground and not break because God is going to intervene. Right. And so the one time this Christian was in the class and he was fervently praying for God to show himself. And when the professor dropped the glass, accidentally moved his foot and the glass hit his foot and it rolled harmlessly down the aisle of the classroom. And the Christian was like, oh, see, God moved his foot to prove his existence. Uh Moved his foot. Yeah, it's like, oh my God. Like, the creator of the cosmos, this is how that he shows he exists <laughs> by moving somebody's foot. He moved his foot to save a glass jar from breaking. But, like, that's the kind of shit that when I was like a Christian, I'd be like, oh, God works in mysterious ways. He's, he's always present, you know? And now I look at that going, it's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. That's like ridiculous. Well, that's because now you're hooked on logic and reason and oh. you can never go back. Yeah. So you have a, you have a reference to a blog post about yeah. a hypothetical scenario of being trapped on an island. Why don't you tell us about yes. that one? This is the blog that I love. I've mentioned it a few times, sufficientreasons.wordpress.com. This is blog post number 17. 
I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just an excerpt. It's a hypothetical scenario about being trapped on an island with a few friends. And one of the friends, Tom, has an imaginary friend named George. George does not seem to be giving Tom any useful knowledge about himself, the island, or how to survive on the island. Nor does George physically help out in any noticeable way on the island. In fact, the existence of George is practically identical to the non-existence of George. So you ask Tom, if George were to leave this island, how would you know? How would things change here on the island? Tom responds, if George were to leave, I would know it in my heart. But George will never leave me. You are not convinced. How could Tom convince you that George was real? Well, yeah, and there's any number of ways. If George came out <laughs> and talked to him and said, hey, I'm George, you know, like, nice to meet you. And if this was a real, an actual imaginary friend, and by that I mean actually imaginary, yeah. of course this George could not just come right out and introduce himself because he's not real. He only exists in the mind of Tom. Right. But if George were actually an omniscient, omnipotent entity that loves everybody, right. George has no reason not right. to come out and introduce himself. Yeah, it's, it's well, silly. Well, I mean, the Christians say there are reasons, but and we'll get to that, but yeah. we reject them all, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, I and mean, it kind of makes me think of that movie Castaway, you know, where Tom Hanks has got Wilson, you Wilson know, which is yeah. just a volleyball, and he develops a, <laughs> a deep relationship with this volleyball. You know, if you really think about it, the idea of believing in an invisible deity it's not that different than believing that your volleyball's alive, you know, and that he's your it's friend. True. It's actually more crazy because at least the volleyball was there. <laughs> yeah. And it had a little face. Yeah. Right? You could see the volleyball. <laughs> it even said Wilson right on his forehead, yes. you know? Yes. Um, so yeah, but it's a reasonable belief in Wilson. <laughs> right. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about the philosophical argument regarding the hiddenness of God. Yeah. So this whole topic is not just a thing that we're throwing out there and we made up. This is an actual philosophical argument. It's called Divine Hiddenness, and it was popularized by J.L. Schellenberg. He published this book called Divine Hiddenness and Human Reason in 1993. And so he defines the argument like this. God could easily show strong evidence of his existence to humans, similar to the evidence for trees, stars, or other people. God wants humans to know that he exists. Therefore, God would want to give strong evidence of his existence to humans. But humans have no strong evidence, or any, that was my interpolation, or right. any, yeah. that God exists. Therefore, God has not shown humans strong evidence of his existence. Therefore, God does not exist. And that's how it goes. Seems like a pretty logical progression. Right. I'm sure like Christians could try to pick apart these things saying, you know, God chooses not to show his evidence or we don't understand the evidence. Oh, yeah. It's not that we don't have the evidence. It's that we're too stupid and too finite to understand the evidence. Or you know? our sin nature. Well, you know, we'll, right. we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get to that. So you have a lot of places in the Bible where it says that if we seek God, we will find him. Yeah. I mean, one of the foundational things I feel like in Christianity, when you're a believer is you've been told that you now have access to God. You have a quote unquote personal relationship with mm -hmm. the God of the universe. And that feels really good. Right. So, and the Bible is full of references that says, seek me and you'll find me. Right. And 
in the Old Testament, God wasn't really hidden. Like if you read the stories of the Old Testament, he's no. he's talking from burning bushes. You know, <laughs> he's he's doing all kinds of of magical stuff. Yeah. So to me, it seems like maybe the people of the Old Testament they maybe had more quote unquote evidence for God. They definitely did. I remember being very jealous, like back in my days when I was trying to believe, but I knew I didn't have any faith. I was so jealous of the characters in the Bible because they were able to see firsthand like the miracles, the burning bush, like God talked to them. Jesus was there. Right. And they didn't really need faith. Well, I mean, some of them did, I guess, if they didn't directly come in contact right. with any of that. But I was so envious of that. because, And I thought it was unfair that like me 2000 years later had to just right. take it on faith based on an old book. Right. Yeah. I mean, I feel like if you saw a dude walk on the Sea of Galilee, you'd be like, holy shit, mm -hmm. that guy's got some kind of juice that I want. Let me follow that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you were an eyewitness to these things, you probably wouldn't have any qualms about believing that this person was God. Let's read a couple of them. Okay. So first one is from the book of Matthew. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks, it will open. This is, it's a classic verse. Jeremiah 29, 13 is another one. Like you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. So it says, if you look, you're going to find them. First Timothy says, this is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God, our savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So that goes to the idea that God wants us to find him. He wants us to know who he is. Going back to that word find, I think that a lot of Christians would say, well, I did seek and I did find. Right. But to them, finding is like that warm feeling mm -hmm. and that breeze and the sign that they got like a butterfly going past the window. Right. Yeah. To me, that's not finding anything. That's just making connections in your own brain. Right. You're making it what you want to be. Like when I say find, I want you to write, I am God in fire <laughs> on my wall. Right. Like, <laughs> something unmistakable. Right. But that's never what anybody means when they say that I found God. Yeah. It's always something that's open to interpretation and it's almost yeah. always something that has a natural explanation. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was going through my divorce, I was blindsided by this divorce and I was driving somewhere after this all kind of happened, the separation. I talked to a lot of people and I'm praying to God and all this kind of stuff. And I remember driving back to my house that was now empty except for me and the dogs. And I remember seeing this big rainbow. And so of course- I saw this rainbow. Mm -hmm. And when you're a Christian, it's like, oh my God, oh, yeah. the rainbow is a promise, you know? So God's never going to leave you or forsake you, the whole thing. You He's know, never going to murder you again. Right. Yeah, exactly. Took a picture of the rainbow, sent it to like my sister and blah, blah, blah. Or now you look at it, it's like, well, yeah, 20 minutes earlier, there was a damn thunderstorm and now the there, sun's yes. out. <laughs> you yes. know, that's where rainbows come from. It's not light through water vapor. Like right. Yeah. So, the, the, yeah, the idea of finding God is open to interpretation. Yeah. You don't get that clear thing. Yeah. Another one talks about Jacob coming face to face with God. Yeah, he wrestles with God, right? Like God has a human form. Yeah, he takes the form of some kind of person and he wrestles them. But yeah, I did some more researching and there's something like 85 references to seeking for God and finding him. Okay. This concept of looking for God and finding him is there. But then at the same time, in the same Bible, there's tons of verses that say, 
where the hell are you, God? Or yeah. there's even specific places where God says, you're going to look for me. And guess what? You're not going to find me, <laughs> you know? And so to me, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Like how can God want to be found, but then also hide? Yeah. And I think a lot of that was the, in the ancient Near East, they thought that Yahweh was going to deliver them. Right. And of course, since Yahweh's not real, he never did deliver them. And so right. they were just like, why are you not saving us? Why are you hiding? Where are you? And like right. that became a lot of the poetry and stuff that's in the Old Testament. Yeah, a lot of those verses are in Psalms. I mean, there's one in Psalms that says, how long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? Exodus, you can't see my face. No man can see me and live. That seems pretty loving. And then New Testament has some too. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he explained him. So the only person that gets to see God is God. First John has... No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, then God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So again, you don't see God. It's just love is how you see God. Yeah. yeah. And that's something that we have to do. Right. (laughs) Again, that's like humans creating the illusion of God. Right. Yeah. (laughs) There's several of them that talk about like they'll cry out to the Lord, but he's not going to answer them because of their sin. Oh, remember the... The one from Inerrancy part two, part no, part one, the I will laugh at your calamity. Yeah. I will like hide from you and laugh at your yeah, calamity. Yeah, and- laugh at your, yeah. The point is the Bible, again, contradicts itself talking about where if you look for him, you'll find him. But then there's also times where you're going to look for him and you're not going to find him. Yeah. And that's by design. It's not just because like you didn't look hard enough. It's like he's hiding behind a really big cosmic tree, <laughs> you know? Yes. Yes. So actively hiding. We kind of touched on this earlier, but is divine hiddenness consistent with the character of God as Christians define him? Not at all, which is why they have to rationalize so hard to get around this problem. Right. An omnipotent, all-loving, omniscient God would not want to stay hidden because omnipotent means this God could do anything, can prove itself in any way it wants. Yeah. All-loving means it wants us to know him and to love him, to have a relationship with him omniscient means this God would know exactly what it would need to do to prove itself to every single one of us and could do it instantly right? without any effort at all. Yeah. Because maybe for each person, they might need a different evidence, you know? So maybe for you, it's Mm -hmm. writing on the wall and fire, but you know, maybe for me, I need to see a goat run into my room and say, Hey, God sent me. (laughs) You know, like, oh, I, I changed my mind. I want that. I want the goat. Yeah, yeah. That'd be, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> but so, like, this whole idea, like the tri omni paradox, it's a huge problem for a lot of the descriptions of God and a lot of the characters of God. And it really tears apart the idea of the existence of God. Right. It means that since God is hidden, God wants to be hidden. Right. Either God wants to be hidden. So hides or God doesn't exist. Like those are the two options. So which one is more likely? Right. (laughs) Well, and which one would make even makes like more sense. If you believe in a God that loves you, why would you want to believe that someone who loves you would hide? That'd be a really, a pretty shitty way to prove that I love somebody. If like I'm married, I've got kids and I tell my wife, I love her. But every time she comes home, I'm not here. You go in the attic. You know, and I leave a little note that says, I'm hiding. I'll co- I'll be back when you leave. Ha ha. I left you some pizza rolls. 
<laughs> that's not a very loving <laughs> that marriage is not gonna last not with the pizza rolls no yeah no you probably gotta leave some high-grade sushi maybe or something yeah but still like god's not leaving nothing Let's talk a little bit about why Christians say that there are reasons for divine hiddenness and why those reasons don't work if you actually use your brain and use logic of reason. And we'll talk a little bit about faith and really why that's useless to base your life on. This is something we've talked about in previous episodes, the idea of faith not yeah. really being a virtue. Let's talk about William Lane Craig. Yes. This is an apologist. If you've never heard of him, he says, I quote, Although I've found that atheists have a hard time grasping this, <laughs> it is a fact that in the Christian view, it is a matter of relative indifference to God whether people merely believe that he exists or not. For what God is interested in is building a love relationship with you, not just getting you to believe that he exists. All right, that's the end of the quote. My thing is how do you have a love relationship, a relationship that's supposed to be a two-way thing? Right. How do you have that with something that you don't even believe exists? Right. Isn't belief step one? Isn't that a prerequisite? Right. <laughs> it doesn't. The idea of that is completely fictional. You can't have a relationship with something invisible. And if you do have a relationship where this person is actually impacting your life and you're letting them guide you, that doesn't make a lot of logical sense because there's no proof that they're there. Like you were talking about the imaginary friend. If my kid develops an imaginary friend and now then my kid goes out and murders the cat, and he says, my imaginary friend, George, told me to do it. I'm taking him to the hospital. Yeah. I'm not going to say, oh, it's okay. The other thing about the personal relationship, like everybody keeps saying they have a personal relationship with Jesus. Well, if you have a personal relationship, doesn't that mean that you would be getting information from Jesus? Like that's not readily available elsewhere. Like that's not in the right. public domain. Jesus might tell you something about his character that's only from, you know, it's only between the two of you. And that never happens. It's yeah. always like people have a relationship with the construct of Jesus that they grew up with. And they say, oh, well, I have a relationship because he communicates to me through the Bible. But that's not. Okay. Well, that's the same Bible. That's the same Bible that everybody has. That'd be like if you were in love with someone and you sent her a love letter, but then you also sent the same exact letter to like 10 other girls. And they all say they have, they're in a relationship with you through the letter. Yeah, that's not a relationship. That's like saying I have a relationship with J.K. Rowling because mm. I read Harry Potter. Like, I don't. Uh, yeah. It's right. silly. Okay, so that's why we reject William Lane Craig. Yeah. Do you want to go on the next one? Yeah, this is a this is a great one too. Like God doesn't want to prove himself to us because he wants us to choose him by our free will or believe based on faith. Again, this doesn't make any sense. Like, why would you want someone to choose you based on free will versus just showing yourself? And plus there's, I think that people get, they're merging these two concepts into one, but they're really separate. So believing that something is real doesn't mean that you have to accept that thing's proposition. Right. So like, I know Donald Trump is real, Unfortunately, but that doesn't mean that I support Donald Trump Trump, or that I agree with his ideology or right. anything about him as a person. Right. I reject Donald Trump. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing. Yeah. In one of these blog posts, we'll link to it, but I can't remember which number it is. Okay. It's insufficient reasons, but there's like a really good um, dialogue between Jesus 
Jesus knocks on the door of some guy mm-hmm. and he just introduces himself. And the guy's like, oh no, why did you do that? <laughs> and Jesus is like, what do you mean? And the guy's like, well, you gave me too much evidence. Now I have no choice but to believe in you. And now I'm doomed. I can't be saved. I'm going to hell. And Jesus is like, what? Where did you hear this from? And he's right. like, my pastor told me. It's really good. It's kind of eye-opening like to show how ridiculous this concept yeah. is. Just because we know God exists. Right. It doesn't mean that we're forced to follow him. Right, yeah. In fact, it would make it easier for a lot of people to follow him. Right. Who would want to do the right thing. Right. But they just don't believe because there's no evidence. You asked this question, how do you choose something you don't believe exists? Mm -hmm. So I'm not actively not choosing God. There's no proof that he's there. So I'm just like, meh. Yeah. Yeah. It it doesn't impact me that he's not there. It's irrelevant. Yeah. And and there's this idea that somehow it's more virtuous to God or belief is worth more if we believe based on faith as opposed to, to evidence. Yeah, that makes no it sense. It brings us back to the idea of like why faith is so important to God. Why is it so important to God? Yeah. Is that realistic that faith would be important to an omnipotent God? And plus he already knows who can believe on faith and who can't. Right. I'm not a person who can believe anything on faith. Right. And he knows that. He made me that way. And right. so I'm doomed from the start. Yeah. That was one of the things that like from the very beginning made me question the whole basis of Christianity. It's like right. this omniscient, omnipotent God made me this way right. and made faith faith so important and made me so that I can't have faith, then what the hell's he doing? Yeah. (laughs) And wouldn't an actual God who wants our love want to eliminate any obstacles to that love? Yeah. Again, to go back to the human realm, like if you're trying to woo some woman or some man or some person of the same gender, just to make sure that we cover all the bases. If you're trying to attract love, you wouldn't put up roadblocks or red flags to make it harder for someone to fall in love with you, right? Yeah. It's like in that dialogue that I was just referring to, Jesus is like, well, what do you want me to do? And the guy's like, why don't you just go hide in the bushes and just whisper really, really quietly so that people who want to hear you can hear you. Don't make it so obvious that everybody can hear you. <laughs> That's so funny. Sufficient reasons is like the best. He's like really good at coming up with scenarios too. Like those scenarios are awesome. They are. Yeah. Yeah. He translates them into like real life scenarios and they're just really elucidating. Yeah, that's good. So I found a gotquestions.org article called What is Divine Hiddenness? And this article tries to refute the whole argument of divine hiddenness by giving reasons why God appears to be hidden or why God is not actually hidden. Okay. So the first reason is that it's our fault that God is hiding (laughs) because when the God-man relationship started out, God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. Right. God was not hidden at all. It is man who initiated the separation between God and man. Wait, we what? did the hiding, not God. <laughs> so that's not, even, right. that's not even in the book. <laughs> I don't even know where to start with this. Okay. So they're explaining away the problem of divine hiddenness by introducing a premise that has like a thousand more problems. Right. Right. This is like original sin, the fall, the garden of Eden, creationism, which we've like debunked a thousand times already right. in this podcast. And the, another big problem I have with this is that the fall happened like chapter two in Genesis, right? Right. Like right when the Bible started. And if it's because of the fall that God is hiding, then why was it, why was God not hiding during the whole rest of the Bible? Right. <laughs> right. He was there doing stuff with people. Right. The whole entire Bible. Yeah. But the fall happened at the very beginning. Right. That thing doesn't even make sense in the context of the Bible. Cause like, the story of the fall isn't that man was hiding. It was that God set a rule, man broke it, and then they hid because they were ashamed, and then they got in trouble. Now God's going to be hidden after that. 
Yeah, it's definitely twisting it around. Yeah, there's something weird here. It definitely goes back to the idea of sin. You know, sin is the reason that God is hidden. And yeah, and another problem with this whole God is hidden because of the fall is because the Bible says that those who earnestly seek him will find him. Right. (laughs) The Bible still says you will be able to find him. He's not hidden. 84 times. (laughs) Yeah, nice try. Got questions. What else you got? Okay, so this is the next quote from that article. God has made his existence known through creation, but man suppresses the knowledge of God in various ways. The non-resistant non-believer has likely been blinded by the lies of those who hate God and want to suppress the knowledge of him. Yeah, this is another favorite thing about like God makes his existence known through creation or through nature. That was also, you know, the way you explain away, well, what about the people who never hear Jesus that live, you know, in a jungle somewhere? Yeah, the rocks cry out. Oh, they have the jungle to explain God to them. <laughs> the but, jungle explains everything. Yeah. It's like, I've been in the jungle a bunch of times and it never spoke God to me. I was like, these mosquitoes are fucking huge. I got to get out of here. Like, yeah, you know? the parasites and the malaria. Oh yeah. They scream God. <laughs> right. So that idea is just ridiculous anyway, but man suppressed the knowledge of God. We're more powerful than God, apparently. Yeah. Like how could people who hate God suppress the knowledge? You think if God really wanted to be known, he could overcome anything, Right. any lies or blasphemy or propaganda by you know fallible mere humans right it would just be trivial to do trivial yeah but he's not doing it It, like if this is true then he's not doing it yeah unsupported unsupported assertion wrong (laughs) (laughs) okay what else you got got questions oh this is a good one the article also says that scripture is the evidence that we need scripture is the prime evidence of god's loving intention to reveal himself to men all right, so this is a age-old problem that we keep coming up against. Right. <laughs> circular reasoning. Right. And not only that, but this is one of the many arguments like that claim that we do actually have evidence. But the problem with all of those arguments that say we do have evidence for God is that we don't because there are non-resistant non-believers in the world. Right. And God is indistinguishable from no God. Right. So either there is no evidence or it's not good enough evidence. Yeah. And you can't use the Bible as the proof for anything. Because it's it's full of flaws and contradictions and mistakes and things that are just completely wrong. And and let alone the idea of God's loving intention, that's not really the message that you get from the Bible unless you do some major, major cherry picking. Yeah, you have to do major cherry picking. I yeah, I don't yeah. feel like God's love is real evident when he torched Sodom and Gomorrah or he flooded the world. <laughs> or he threw venomous snakes at the Israelites. Right, threw snakes at people like there's a lot of stuff in there that is not loving. All right. So so to sum up that whole section, here's another quote from the Sufficient Reasons blog. This is blog number two. We should start getting royalties from Sufficient Reasons. I know. I like- or we should be paying them to use their content. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Let's keep it quiet then. Yeah. <laughs> it seems that instead of actively pursuing a personal relationship with humans, the quote unquote personal Christian God is employing the same dubious method of communication that hundreds of other alleged gods have employed. A book written so vaguely that it has given rise to thousands of sects and disparate doctrines. The personal God of the Bible appears suspiciously afraid of appearing. Yeah, the that's the whole thing about Christianity and religion. You're doing the same thing that every other religion does. Yes. It's not set apart in any way. No. And I keep thinking about like some of the stuff that's happened in our country this week about the Supreme Court ruling that that football mm-hmm. coach can pray on the 50-yard line with his team. So the Supreme Court ruled that this guy can pray now because we have freedom of religion. Okay, but what's going to happen 
when the Muslim coach goes out to the 50 yard line, pulls out his prayer rug Mm -hmm. and has his team face towards Mecca before the game. Yes. Or I want to see the Wiccan coach come out and do a Wiccan ceremony before their game or Mm -hmm. any one of the other thousands of world religions that supposedly we are free to express in this country. That's not going to fly. The idea of what Christians are doing being some unique or the right way, it doesn't hold up because it's the same exact structure as what other world religions do. Just put God, you know, the Christian God in place of any other God. And you've got the same, you got the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another point about the whole like seek and you will find is that Christians always say you have to seek with an open heart and you mm. have to be really wanting a relationship with God. Right. Coincidentally, those are the only people who seem to find him. <laughs> right. Because you have to be so desperate to find him that you're willing to conjure him up in your own mind. Right. Whether you realize that's what you're doing or not. I mean, right. I guess they don't realize they're doing that. But the fact is that every religion says that's how you find their God. Right. You have to approach that God with an openness mm-hmm. and an earnestness. Right. If that's a way that you can find any other God, how is that a valid way to find the one true God? Right. It's not. doesn't make sense that it would be the same. It's like people who go to fortune tellers. If you're looking for that fortune teller to, to tell you what you want to hear, yeah, you're going to interpret everything that person says to you as, oh, they knew. It's confirmation bias. It is. I'm, I'm already looking for God. I'm looking for the sign. Oh, well, here's something that happened. That must be the sign. Mm-hmm. There's a superstition that like anytime you come across a dime on the ground, that's like someone from the other side that's died trying to communicate with you. There's a radio person that has someone on his staff that believes this, right? Well, every time I come across a dime, it's someone from the other side. So of course, every time he's going down the street and he finds a dime, he now believes that that dime is someone from the other side. And then a whole bunch of other things happen that day to confirm that idea of, oh, there's someone from the other side trying to talk to me. It's no different than saying, I want God to speak to me about this thing and then seeing a rainbow. What if another person went down the street, found a dime, And then the same things happened to that person, but they weren't seeking to connect those dots in a certain way. Right. They would never have come to the conclusion that a dead person was trying to talk to them. They would just say, oh, I found a dime. Cool. (laughs) And then then stuff happened throughout my day. Yeah. It's like if if you're not looking for the signs, the mind, the human mind wants to make connections to put things together. That's just how, how it works. Patterns. Yeah. To make patterns. There's something in your blog that I don't think we talked about that I kind of do want to talk about. Okay. You're talking about, does God really want us to know that he exists? And we talked about like, if he wanted to prove himself, he could easily do that because of his power, because of his omniscience and all that kind of stuff. So you've got a couple of options. Either God doesn't want us to know that he exists, which means he doesn't really want to have a relationship with us, or he doesn't care, which also means he doesn't want to have a relationship he wants us to know he exists, but not by using evidence, you know, which is where <laughs> a lot of theists land, you know, it's it's about belief. Yeah. Or lastly, God doesn't exist. If you debunk the first three things, well, then you have to land on the idea of God not existing. Yeah. I think that even theists would say number one and two aren't true. Right. He does want a relationship with us. He's not actively hiding and he's not indifferent. 
Yeah. I don't think any theorist would say that. No, they definitely wouldn't agree with that. Yeah. They have to say God wants us to know he exists, but not by using evidence. Right. Because evidence is bad. Yeah. Evidence is bad. We're going to come back to this too. Is like the ways that Christians describe that they have found God. We touched on this about like the feelings and the breeze or the rainbow or the signs or whatever. I mean, there's books and books and books about finding God. And then there's equal number of books about, well, what do you do when you can't find God? There's so many websites about when you feel like God isn't answering you, here's what to do. So here's, these are like my favorites. The first one, of course, is just trust God. Okay. Which is just easy to do. You know, of course, like, hey, my life's what going- What does that even mean? Yeah, my life's going to shit. Well, just trust God. And then the natural extrapolation of that is, well, his ways are higher than our ways. I've already ranted and raved about on previous episodes. Mm-hmm. The idea of his ways are higher than I, our ways is just the most irrational way to just explain away something that has no explanation. Yeah. The problem I have with that is that we're not seeking to understand every single facet of God. No. If God exists, then I'm sure that we were, are not able to understand everything about God. Sure. But the basic facts that theists put forward shouldn't be so contradictory that they are illogical. Right. That's the part that we have the problem with. Yeah. That shouldn't be higher than our ways. <laughs> right. Well, and sometimes you just want a basic explanation of some specific thing in your life. Something bad happened to you. Well, why did this happen? How comforting is it to just hear, well, his ways are higher than our ways. Or he has a plan. Yeah. yeah that's that's not an answer. If you're looking for guidance in in an area of your life and you can't get any guidance, then you're going to make the decision and it's either going to be the right one or the wrong one. And then depending on how it turns out, then you're going to say, well, God guided me that way or oops, I didn't listen to God. If it goes badly, (laughs) oh, I must have not heard God correctly. It's like a magic eight ball. Right. It's no different. Right. At least the magic eight ball gives you words and actual answers. Outlook does not look good. Yeah. Yeah. So another one is that, oh, well, when we can't find God or we're going through trials, well, we're being refined through fire. That's another another one. I've never heard that. Oh, you haven't? There's a whole song about it. Refiner's fire. Come on. Makes us stronger. Yeah. Testing and finding God. It's what makes us stronger, you know, which, you know, there's some truth to the idea of going through hard times does make you stronger, Yeah. but that's not a biblical principle. That's just like how the world works, you know? So that's not really a good answer for what to do when you can't find God, just And it goes to the next point of like, there's a lesson to learn through God's absence. Wait a minute. Well, what what the hell's the lesson? Like, (laughs) like, So this is like, if a parent sneaks out on their kid, their eight-year-old kid and leaves them home alone, well, I'm going to teach this kid a lesson. Right. I'll show you. You need me. I'm going to go out to the bar while you're in the basement. Like, Try to make those pizza rolls on your own. (laughs) Right. You'll learn to appreciate me. Right. Yeah. It's like- Oh, how awful. It's like, it's like vindictive. Like- Especially, like we said at the beginning, especially if you're in a time of crisis. Yeah. That is not the time to be hidden. No loving human would do that. My five-year-old has like night terror sometimes. She'll fall asleep and then she'll wake up and she'll be screaming at the top of her lungs. And you can't do anything really to fix it. They just kind of have to work through it. And she's terrified. Like you go in, you see her face. It's got this look of terror on her face and she's kind of jabbering. Sometimes it sounds like she's speaking in tongues or something. The loving thing to do is you sit there with her and you hold her and you let her know that you're there. Mm -hmm. That's what a loving human father would do. 
a non-loving <laughs> asshole father would let their kids scream in their bed for hours and hours and say, oh, I'm going to teach this kid a lesson. It's abusive. There's a greater lesson for you to learn by screaming in the middle of the night. That's what God's doing to people who are crying out to him in crisis. He's just letting yeah. them scream into the darkness. Oh, it's terrible. When you talk about it like this and try to put it into a logical concept, it, it just doesn't make any sense. You know, you're like, why? the fuck did I ever believe this? Like, I don't even understand. Either they try not to think too hard about it. They just want to think about the surface stuff so they can make themselves feel better about, I don't know, something's going on in their life. Or they, they just want to glean the comfort. Yeah. Up. You know, like if you imagine like the cream on the top, they're just gleaning that cream off Yeah. because it's good for them. But they don't think about what's underneath that. Is it really good and true? Right. And sometimes I think, yo, you're going through a hard time. Yeah, it'd be really nice. To have that like fake comfort so I don't have to deal with the pain of whatever this situation is or whatever. I can understand that from a human standpoint. We need something to to cling to, you know, and people will then say, well, if you don't have God, what do you do in hard times? Well, the same thing you're doing, except for that I'm living mm-hmm. in, re- in reality instead of just mm-hmm. waiting for God to intervene. So divine hiddenness, it's a, it's a fun topic, I think. It is. It really is. So hopefully we didn't kind of talk in circles. Yeah. Hopefully we weren't too disjointed. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that this argument, while it's not like a clincher, I mean, to me it is, but it reduces the probability of theism so much yeah. that I think it's as good as extinguished. Yeah. Okay. So we'll read the argument again, just to, to sum it up. God could effortlessly show strong evidence of his existence to humans. God wants humans to know that he exists. Therefore, God would want to give strong evidence of his existence to humans. Humans have no strong evidence that God exists. Therefore, God has not shown humans strong evidence of his existence. Therefore, God does not exist. So if God exists, then he does not want us to know that he exists or he just does not care. He's indifferent. Yeah. The truth is that we find ourselves in a reality where God is not self-evident. So theists have to rationalize their God concept in order to fit that reality. You have to rationalize this idea of God. You have to rationalize it because there's no there's no concrete way to prove it. And there's no alternative to rationalizing it because this is our reality. Right. <laughs> it's like, That's what we have to work with. Yeah. And the reality that we live in is exactly the reality you'd expect if there was no God or gods, plural. Mm-hmm. Good. Nailed it. Nailed it. It's even in bold in 14 types. So uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I don't know why. That means it's true. <laughs> it has to be. <laughs> Follow us at the flawed theology podcast.com and subscribe to us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Please rate and review us on Google, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We're on all kinds of platforms now. I can't even keep track of them all. Give us five stars. Yeah, all the stars. All of them. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we will talk to you next time. Hi, welcome to the Flawed Theology Podcast. I'm Phil. Hang on. (laughs)
I forgot what I you're supposed to say. No, I can't get my mouse off my top monitor. Oh. There. Oh. Where's your monitor? On the ceiling? It's Yeah, it's up on my dresser. I have like oh. a little dresser. Oh, and oh. My laptop is on a dresser drawer. And nice. then I have, yeah, the monitor is supposed to be to the right of my oh. laptop. So it's just like really disorienting to get my yeah. mouse off. You can drag it to be up top so that way your mouse works the right way. I'd have to go into settings to do that, right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. I'm not doing that right now. <laughs> Like I'm just going to reorient my brain, so there you I'll go. figure it out. All right. Well, this, this will be good fodder for the outtakes. So. Oh, yeah. Already? <laughs> already? Two seconds in. <laughs> two seconds in. Already have outtakes. Way to go. 